Close the Curtain podcast is an audio platform created to educate, entertain, and inspire women to live their best lives while they close the curtain on things that no longer serve them. We bond over wine or the drink of your choice while sharing many laughs, loves, and sometimes even tears. While this show features our opinions, it should not take the place of you seeking professional healthcare advice. Please buckle up and enjoy the show. Hey, Close the Curtain crew. This is Nalita, one of your co-hosts of Close the Curtain podcast. This week, we decided to take it back to where it all began on the eavesdrop where we had once a month broadcast. So this is a rebroadcast of Wind Down with the Eavesdrop, and I hope you like our most played episode. See you next week for our regularly programmed schedule. Bye. I fly United, I fly first class. I make them close that curtain because I don't like all that suffering going back and close. It's so hot, we can't breathe. Please close the curtain. I can't take it. I only have one of them great. I can't help them all. Please, please. Please close the curtain. Yeah, I'm for sure, for certain. Some topics be making us way too uncomfortable. Queasy stomachs hurting. We do not deal with negative energy, vibes, and negative person. Tell the story, this hurry up urgent. I needed to close the curtain. I'm Shalana. Don't let the sweet voice and the stethoscope fool you. Because I can tell it like an IS is. Hey, y'all. I'm Caroline, a Midwestern girl with a Southern flair. I will open. Bless your heart in the same breath. After turning 30, there's two places I strongly belong. In a bed and in a book. Sometimes both. Nalita. I fly at night and I fly first class. I make them close that curtain because I don't like all that suffering go back and close. Welcome to another episode of the Wind Down with the Eavesdrop. We are back and time for some more hot topic shenanigans. I missed you, ladies. Has anyone experienced anything exciting or new? Oh, girl. So <laughs> it's just been a real emotional, crazy year. But one of the big things that seems to keep popping up is trying to have some good mental awareness of yourself and kind of what's going on and one of the things that brings to mind this for me is Naomi or as my husband says Naomi (laughs) (laughs) Naomi Osaka and her leaving the tournament to try and get away from having to do those different interviews and because she said that they were bringing up a lot of anxiety and the depressions that she has uh, tried to work through since she became very big from beating Serena. Yes, and I love it. Like, I'm here for anybody taking care of their mental health, but especially somebody like Naomi, who was always scrutinized and who has, like, such a big platform. 
to to be able to make such a big decision like forget the fines forget whatever trouble y'all gonna say i'm in but like to put her mental health first i think it sends a really big message to other girls who look up to her but i also hope it sends a message to the tennis association as well because those reporters be coming at her out of pocket all the time Mm -hmm. and so I hope that they can also take a look at themselves to see like the role that they played and like her not wanting to do interviews with them. Right and I also commend Naomi Osaki because you know some time ago on this show we talked about boundaries and the importance of setting them and I believe that we must all set boundaries where they are needed especially if someone or something is interfering with our physical and mental health. And I think that is what Naomi did. We only have one body and one mind. So, you know, we have to advocate for it. And I think that on a daily basis, most of us give 100% on our jobs. We show up time and time again to help keep the business running, even if it jeopardizes our own well-being. And I'm here to tell you that once you get sick or... Even if you die, you know, these institutions and organizations will mourn you for about a week and they will keep the show going. And the same thing goes for the entertainment and professional uh, sports industry. You know, the powers that be will always advocate for their business and their money. So we have to advocate for ourselves. And Naomi Osaki definitely did that. Did y'all see how like the Williams sisters and so many other celebrities like came out in support of her decision too? Like, I love how Mm -hmm. Serena spoke out and like, especially Venus. I can't remember exactly what she said, but it was something like, um, (laughs) oh my goodness. Mm -hmm. It was something like, you know, I don't let the press get to me because they'll never play better than me. And like, that was the ultimate mic drop. They'll never light a candle to me. I remember (laughs) she said Exactly. Yes, that was a mic drop. And speaking of the um, Williams sisters, Serena Williams just recently opted out of playing the Tokyo tournament. And that was announced today that she was not going to be playing it in the tournament in Tokyo because actually she really didn't give a reason. They asked her why and she said she really didn't want to announce a reason. She said maybe at a later date I'll come back and I'll explain why. But without explanation, she too backed out of a tournament. You know what, I feel like at the end of the day, you don't owe anyone an explanation for whatever time away you need. Like you said, you put your best foot forward, most people, when they come to work and to the job, and you deserve to have time away from the spotlight and to have and live your normal everyday today life. No matter if you are a public speaking figure or or an entertainer or whatever job you hold, you still need time away from that because you know the internet does not care about your mm-hmm. mental well-being. They don't. They don't take a break. <laughs> yeah, not at and all. Like I, mm-hmm. And like I said, they'll mourn you for a couple of days, and then it's back to normal schedule, business as usual. So, so you have to really advocate for yourself. Mm-hmm. Now I'm curious. Do y'all know if Naomi Osaka is playing in uh, Tokyo for the Olympics? I've seen some things that says that she may come back for the Tokyo Olympics just because it's kind of on her own home turf and, you know, she has a lot of support in Japan. So I've seen some things, but it's not, as far as I know, been confirmed that she will. Mm, Okay. 
Interesting. All I know is I think when she comes back, she's going to win some titles. Because I think that whenever you are able to take time out and you're able to just regroup and mentally get better, that makes you better physically. And I think that taking this time out, like she's really going to come back with a bang. And I'm pushing for her. You know, she has to finish. Yes. <laughs> you got support over here. Mm-hmm. For sure. I mean, I'm always Team USA, but um, I might have to throw up that Japanese flag one time right. if she plays for Team Japan. Like, I'm, yeah. I might just have to like jump over the fence for that one because I'm here. I am so here for it. Mm-hmm. But uh, speaking of the Olympics, like, have y'all seen all this Black Girl Magic coming to the Olympics this year? Like, yes. Simone Girl, Miles. Yes. Oh my gosh. And isn't the whole squad, the whole gymnastic squad, aren't they all black? I think so. Yeah. I'm not sure, but I know that they all been breaking these records, honey. And I love to see it. Love to see it. But one thing that I'm hating to see is all this hate going towards our our people, from our people. Like, definitely we're going to have some different love, but one of the things, I guess, is looking at, uh, what was her name? The, the, the runner, <laughs> the sprinter. <laughs> oh, yes, 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 yes. Um, Sha'Carri Richardson. I love her. I love her. And just yeah. enjoyed her running. And then just to see um, and hear the backstory after she won, going mm-hmm. up there, seeing her hug her granny. We all love our granny. Yeah, that was special. It was special. And then to listen and hear that she had just lost her mom that week. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And you would have never been able to tell she had that look on her face like, yes, I did it. You know, you would have never known that she is in the middle of mourning um, her mother Mm -hmm. as well, too. But you know who she reminds me of? She reminds me of Flojo. Remember Flojo back in the day? When I look at her, that is like Flojo reincarnated to me. The yeah. attitude, the confidence, and like her talent just backs it up. Like I love watching mm-hmm. her run. And if y'all weren't in tears when she ran up those steps to hug her granny, yes, yeah. Oh my gosh, <laughs> I'm I'm living for her, and I really wish her the best in the Olympics because I don't know too many other people who are more deserving of a gold medal than her. She works hard. I love her confidence. I love everything about her. And that's yeah, what I'm so saying. Yes, it is inspiring. So why do people feel like they have to, when someone is doing something so great, they got to find a place to nitpick and and pull away from it? Because just in the weeks I've been seeing on Instagram, on Facebook, on Twitter, all these people who have been having to post, or they don't have to, but they've been posting these beautiful pictures of her. Because mm-hmm. apparently people are like, oh, she's so masculine. Have you, is she on steroids? Has anyone checked for that? Why we can't just be great? Why would I be using some other right. thing than just our black people magic? Like we are great. It's in, it's in our <laughs> DNA, honey. We ain't got to look for nothing else. Exactly. <laughs> well, I would definitely be pulling for her and that whole for, squad. I'm just sure. proud just to see it. I'm so proud to see it. In other news, there has been some things in the media about Gary Owens. He's a comedian. And his now ex-wife, Kenya Owens. She has been responding to some things 
that Gary has been doing lately in the media. The most recent um, thing that Gary has done is he wore a t-shirt with the word breadwinner written on it. And he then took a picture of himself wearing the shirt and posted it for everyone to see. And Kenya Owens was triggered by this and wrote a very lengthy post blasting him for leaving her with all the bills that he was responsible for and on top of that not supporting his children so my question is how should these celebrities behave when they are going through a public divorce we see it all the time when these public figures or what have you when they go through these nasty divorces it is all over social media how should they behave during this time? I am am not sure. I think that they definitely should be having some kind of counseling or something to just be able to decompress because uh, of course you're going to be triggered. I, I know I'd be triggered. I see my husband who didn't provide anything for these bills. He didn't, he doesn't take care of his children but yet you want to go out here in front for the, for the ground acting like you bringing in all the money because of who you were or what you were doing, but you haven't seen a show in some weeks or some months. So, yeah. <laughs> or, in, or in my opinion, just be silent. You know, silence is key in these situations. I think they need to take notes from Beyonce and Jay-Z. <laughs> <laughs> Till this day, we still don't know why Solange beat Jay-Z down in that elevator. We don't know. We speculate, but none of us know, you know, and I, there's nothing wrong with that. I don't think you have mm-hmm. to put your business out there on social media for everybody to know. And then, you know, we heard once upon a time that Bill and uh, Belinda Gates or Melinda Gates, that's that mm-hmm. her name, they recently got divorced and we heard nothing else about it. And the world still went on. Business still mm-hmm. went on as usual. So you don't have to really put all your business out there on front street for entertainment purposes. I don't know. I'm very torn because I've had two friends recently go through a divorce and I mean recent, like it's happened within the last, both of them have happened within the last three months. One of my friends was extremely vocal about the things that were going on and that's how she was able to get through her divorce. There was a lot of trauma there. A lot of our conversations were my ex-husband this and my ex-husband that. It just processing like a lot of those feelings, like both with me and her, you know, very tight-knit circle. Um, but also just kind of sharing like her evolution after the divorce on social media. I mean, some of it might have been dragging him a little bit, and I think it was deserving, but she did, you know, kind of make her experience more public. Where on the other side, my other friend like internalized everything. She didn't talk to a soul about it. She just like told everybody when it was done and she chose to just keep things private. And I think through like both of those lenses, I can't really say, I don't want to be the one to tell a woman like how you should process or like handle your divorce, be it publicly or privately, because I wouldn't want somebody to say, well, you should just keep that private. That should just be between you. No, if I feel like airing some dirty laundry, if he want to be messy in public, I'm going to be messy too. If they go low, I'm going to dig a ditch right down there with them. Right? But on the flip side, 
that's exactly what she did. And I'm, I'm kind of here for it because the, the thing is, like, Gary built his career on having a Black wife, on having mixed children, and being able to, like, acclimate to the Black experience by being married to a Black woman. And, like, that's how he built his career for the most part. And so it's like, don't do something so disrespectful, like throw on this t-shirt when you haven't allegedly been supporting your kids and mm. then expect his wife or ex-wife to just be silent through it all. I, mm. I might've done the same thing if I was her. I'm just saying that. <laughs> but then you got to think about it too. It's not just the two of them in this situation. They have children and I'm sure that their kids may be still in school. I'm not really aware of like their ages or whatnot, but they are kind of like casualties. Yeah. Like they're also like impacted from this. Yeah. Yeah. They are really impacted from this too. So if you have mom and dad going back and forth in the media with each other, I'm sure they have friends that are seeing this on social media, their peers are seeing this, and they might be getting picked on. So it does trickle down to the children as well. So just like when he went on that show with Wendy Williams, and he was so open about that as well. Like, I just think you just have to be considerate. That's true. Yeah, you do. Them kids are grown now, so I don't have as much, <laughs> I don't have as much sympathy for them because they grown. <laughs> Well, I won't say I don't have sympathy for them, but I'm not as sensitive to how like the kids will take it because they're not like really, really small. Like they're old enough to like understand what's going on and stuff like that and get help if they need it. But no, I I know one of his kids is like close to my age, like 30-ish, and the other ones are um, like 19, 20, 21, or like somewhere in that age. But they don't have Mm. like young children, like four or five and six-year-olds. Like they're older. They're much older. When you look at the whole thing, you know that him being a comedian, he has to be able to read the room. He has to be able to look and see that what I'm wearing, what I'm saying, all of these things hold definite, even though I'm not saying it verbally, it's telling a story. So when he put that breadwinner shirt on and he got seen by the media, he was definitely taking a shot at his wife. Like, he was wrong for that shirt. (laughs) That that shirt is tasteless. Even if you're in a happy marriage, like, you know, I would never wear a shirt that says Brett Render just because of like what that kind of represents in a marriage. Like it was just tasteless altogether. But since you mentioned Wendy, um, your girl was real out of pocket. <laughs> <laughs> when he was as on always. Oh my goodness. Asking him on a date. Like they weren't even divorced yet. Wendy sit down somewhere. Yes. And he was so uncomfortable. He was I think that question made me. Mm-hmm. That question made him so uncomfortable. And Wendy also asked him, why did he wear that shirt? And the answer that he gave was just so stupid. He said, um, it matched his shoes. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, <laughs> No, you was trying to send a message. Yeah. For sure. Like just be be a better human. Just just do that. Be a better human. Well, y'all ready to put a cork in it or raise a glass? I am ready. Okay, we got some good ones this week. And if you're new listening to the show, this segment is called Toast or Cork. 
where we chat about things happening in the news and decide if we're going to celebrate it and make a toast to what they've done, or if we're going to put a cork in it because it's a no for us. Now, before we get started, ladies, I'm always curious to know, what are y'all drinking this evening? Well, I will get started here. I've been drinking this Cabernet Sauvignon, and it's called Replica. Mm -hmm. And the reason why I bought it is because it had a really beautiful butterfly on here. You guys can see that. And I thought, okay, well, if the butterfly is really pretty, the drink must taste really nice. And it actually is pretty nice. And it's called Replica, and I found it in Publix. And it's not too bitter and not too sweet. I think if you paired it with something, it'll probably go well with like uh, red meat, like a steak or something like that. Mm-hmm. Not that I'm good with pairing or anything, but that's I what I would drink it with. Girl, <laughs> that's I what I would sure drink need. it with. <laughs> I sure need some tips on pairing because the last time I went out, whatever I chose was it did not work with a whole pasta entree. But today, <laughs> everything was closed, so I I I just have my agua water. <laughs> And it pairs with everything. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) That's all right. After the week I had last week, I will drink enough for the both of us, sis. So don't you worry. But I have Riesling from the McBride sisters. And this is from their Black Girl Magic collection. It is so good. Mm -hmm. Um, Their wines are amazing. They are amazing. It's a Black-owned company, so I love to support it. But here's a shameless plug. I do have a wine pairing recipe up on Hey Southern Bell. So if you head over to my blog, just search wine pairing and you'll see the article right there. Got y'all. All right. All right. Now, story number one. Somebody needs to call the backyard agains because we're getting into <laughs> Not the backyard agains. <laughs> Not the backyard agains. <laughs> into the thick of it. Somebody cue the music. So last fall. Parents at this very posh $55,000 per year private school got wind of their first graders being taught sex education lessons that included masturbation. They complained to the school administrators, but they were told that they simply misinterpreted what the now notorious health and wellness educator Justine Fonte was teaching. But after the New York Post ran an expose on the class earlier this year, the parents bombarded the school with more complaints about the curriculum, according to Mm -hmm. sources. So the Post watched the video of a cartoon that the teacher was using, and it showed little kids talking about touching themselves for pleasure. And so one boy says, hey, how come sometimes my penis gets big sometimes and points in the air? And then that led to like an explanation of what an erection is. And then another boy says, sometimes I touch my penis because it feels good. And so that's kind of how those dialogues went in the video that they showed to the children. Now the teacher reassured the parents that she does not use the word masturbation in class. And she teaches her lessons by telling kids not to touch themselves in public. So ladies, how do we feel about masturbation and sex ed in general taught to six-year-olds? Do we raise a glass to the each one teach one approach or do we put a cork in it because they're six-year-olds? How do y'all feel? Mm. <laughs> Girl. I'll let y'all tackle that one first. <laughs> I did 
watch the video. And I can say for the most part, the front end of the video was talking more about telling what, classifying your different organs. So it was doing exactly what I do. I teach my daughter, me personally, her parent, teach her to call things by the correct name. And one of the things was that I've seen so many different videos of kids having to go to testify in court and not knowing what to call their vagina or their penis or their anus and their testimony is getting thrown out. So I do think that it is important to teach them um, about their body parts and, and how to correctly classify them. Now, when you get to talking about all this other touching and feeling like there are different stages of development that kids kind of go through, but I feel, I'm not sure, but I feel like by six, seven, they're not stuck in like the anal phase or really trying to do all this self-discovery. Like they, they've passed that from the toddler stage. And so now they're not really concerned all that well. But I remember being in, in kindergarten and depending on where you're growing up, you might be bombarded with that in class, not from the teacher aspect of it. But I do feel like if this is going to be a part of your curriculum, the parents deserve to, to see this video, what you're teaching, and they need to be told about it. And maybe given the decision to if I want my child to learn about this or if I don't. Now, they do need to understand that after the other kids see it, their kids are going to get talked to about it by the other kids. So it just depends on yeah. your approach and, and what you're wanting to do. But they also, if they're deciding if they need to start learning about this, not the masturbation part, but if they're going to start learning and teaching sexual education, they need to provide resources for families to talk about when they get home. Because sometimes we still stuck, like however we grew up, so naive, not knowing about any of this stuff, even all the way up until marriage, and you just self-discovering it yourself. So they don't know what to tell their child when they come home with all these different questions about the material that they've watched. So provide that. So I guess I want to give them a cork with a side eye. That's become our token phrase. Just because they are trying to teach the, the anatomy portion of this. But at the same time, I don't think that it was handled decently and in order. Decently and in order. That's the key word right there. I 100% agree with the cork and the side eye because as a parent, now I don't have a six-year-old now, but if I was a parent, I would want to be included or at least given the option to pull my child out that day if I don't think they're ready to have that you know, type of conversation. When I was six years old, I was just getting introduced to Barney, Baby Bop, you know, little cheers and hand games that I play with my friends. I was not thinking about my lady parts at all at six. But with today's society being so hypersexualized at such an early age, like I also wasn't taking pictures with my mom for the gram. Like no shade to those that do. I just, I, I wasn't, that's not how I grew up. And so introducing me to those kind of topics at six years old would have been a bit premature for me. Now, I, I'll toast to the idea because those conversations do need to be had, like to Nalita's point, but I'm putting the cork in the execution because for $55,000 a year in tuition, <laughs> I need y'all to do a little bit better. 
Well, I can't say what I was thinking about at six years old, because I, I can't even remember. But, um, you know, as a healthcare provider who is pro-sexuality, I approve the message in the video. I am toasting to the video in the effort of this school to educate children about their intimate body parts and helping parents open the discussion with their children. Now, granted, the parents need to know about it and they need to have the option whether or not their child can be exposed to this stuff. But I do think that more schools need to take the same initiative. Because I remember being in middle school and we had a health course where they used to teach us about all this stuff. Like I remember being taught about STIs and um, body parts and all kinds of stuff when I was in middle school. And I think they've taken this subject out of school. I mean, I'm no longer in sixth grade, nor do I have any kids that are in middle school. But um, if I'm not mistaken, they have taken this out of school. And, um, and in my opinion, I think that the stigma about sexuality really begins in the home especially uh, when we are afraid to be open and candid with children when they ask questions. And when we come up with pet names for our body parts, like I think the three of us probably have different pet names that our parents gave our body parts <laughs> coming up. And I think that when we name body parts, pet names, quote unquote, we are inadvertently teaching children to be embarrassed or um, ashamed of their intimate parts. We don't do it on purpose, but when we don't say exactly what it is we are teaching them to be ashamed of what it's really called and I think that a common misconception is that when we have these discussions with children we are giving them our blessings to have sex but I don't think it's hardly that yeah I feel you on that especially about misnaming your genital area I think the other thing that it does inadvertently is create a sort of I think it takes away the seriousness or the reality of what could happen if you were assaulted or yeah. if serious things happen to you. If I'm just calling it, you know, my wee wee or my cooter, you know, just some sort of like nickname for it. I, I don't think of it as serious as it should be taken. So I 100% agree. And I would love to see more resources available to parents because even if, like when the leader said, if they opt out of putting their kids in this like uh, seminar or whatever, and they still come home with questions because of what their friends saw in the class, what am I supposed to tell them? I, I wouldn't know the first place to begin. So I would love to see more resources for parents and grandparents and caregivers to educate children properly, even as, as young as six. Yeah. And going back to some of the age differences, I did a little research um, myself before we did the show. And some of the research showed that children begin to explore and become curious about their genitalia between three and five years of age. Um, and so when children start asking questions or if you catch them exploring their genitalia, I think this is really a good time to talk about what it is, what it is used for, talk about right and wrong, like you know, good and bad touches on those body parts, who should and should not touch them, red flags, and teach boundaries. Um, yeah, and I think that children, just like Caroline mentioned, I think that children who are educated and have established a rapport with their parents and respect to their body parts, they'll be more likely to re report molestation and abuse. Mm -hmm. 
and they feel like they could probably come and talk to you about it because the conversation didn't happen outside somewhere where now I feel like I can't talk to my, my family about it because I'm so embarrassed. Now right. I can I know that my mom knows whatever it is that's going on and I can come to her without any judgment. I can let her know if I'm having something going on down there that I, I need to talk about before I go to the doctor and before they say, oh, you can't come in this room with your child. My child feels comfortable. So yeah, I already, we already have discussed this. Exactly. So yeah, mm -hmm. so I'm toasting to the school. But like Caroline said, you know, I did not like the execution. I think the parents needed to know about it. <laughs> How did you teach somebody's child about sex and not tell the parents? <laughs> oh, right. Then tell the parents that they're just, you know, it's just a misunderstanding or y'all overreacted. Oh, y'all right. would have saw overreact. $55,000. Can you? Anyway. <laughs> Give it all back. Oh. Can we put a cork in that tuition? Yes. Okay, so our next story. Wait, let me let me get my bonnet so I can really get into character. Yeah. Get into form here. So your auntie Monique told us to stop wearing these bonnets and pajamas in the airport, asking <laughs> when did we lose our pride? Whew. Mm. Monique collected her unwavering gall and audacity to get into her auntie-appropriate bathrobe and call her babies to the table on an Instagram live video. Quote, it took me a minute to say what I'm getting ready to say because I wanted to make sure that I'm not saying it from a place of judgment and that I'm saying it from a place of love. Monique told her one million Instagram followers. Some of y'all have given me the title of auntie and I'm honored that y'all do that. But there are times that auntie has to talk to her babies and say some real ish. Now the entertainer shared that while she was traveling to Jackson, Mississippi for a gig, she was astounded by how many young sisters she saw wearing head bonnets, scarves, slippers, pajamas, and blankets wrapped around them at the airport. She went on to say, I've been seeing it not just at the airport, but I've been seeing it at the store, at the mall, when did we lose our pride in representing ourselves? When did we slip away to let me make sure that I'm presentable whenever I leave my home? So then she went on to say, so when I say, hey, queen, I can only say that to the sisters that it belongs to because a lot of us are still a queen in training. So if you're a queen in training, stop being fearful of taking your position, she said. Queens don't walk around in bonnets and headscarves and slippers and pajamas. That's for the house. When you go outside, represent you, baby, like you're worthy and you deserve the title of Hey Queen. So y'all can watch the rest of the video on Monique's little Instagram page, but my beloved sisters, Shalana and Nalita, are y'all team bonnet and mind your business or team by Monique? Try Netflix, don't try me. Girl. <laughs> Monique need to sit down somewhere. But I'm gonna Several let y'all go seats. first. <laughs> Several seats. I just I I think Monique's take on this is very old school. And if I asked my mama or one of my like blood relatives, like one of my real aunties, they'd probably say the same thing, right? Mind the way you look and always look presentable when you leave the house, you're representing this family and all that. And like, I hear them, 
but this mindset is rooted in respectability politics and I just don't have the energy to live by it anymore. It feels like, I don't know, it just feels like the requirements for black women to be a quote unquote queen keep changing and I'm just tired of keeping up. Like we straightened our hair because natural kinky hair was unprofessional. Then we wore our natural hair, but if we travel in a protective style, keeping it protected under a bonnet means we don't take pride in ourselves. Box braids are ghetto, but the Kardashian boxer braids are trendy. If I show too much emotion, I'm soft. If I'm too direct, I'm aggressive and angry. Like it, the needle keeps moving for me to be quote unquote a queen or a respectable black woman. And so like, I am so tired of trying to keep up with what society wants me to do. Yeah, I agree with that. I don't think that being a queen should really be contingent upon what we are wearing on a day-to-day basis. I think, you know, the fact that we're able to rise amongst what society is expecting of us and just be ourselves, I think that's enough. However, um, I will say this, and I think I might, you know, throw you guys a little curveball. I'm going to have to toast to the message and not Monique. You know, initially I was very salty when she first went live with this message, but I thought long and hard about it. And for me, it wasn't exactly the message, it was the messenger and it was how she delivered the message. Um, I'm not a real huge fan of Monique for a number of reasons that I'm not gonna really take the time out to go through here, but I think a lot of people really lost respect for Monique when she called out Oprah and Tyler Perry and Lee Daniels and Netflix and that whole thing. Um, and in my opinion, the message is one that should be heard, but it was tainted because of who it was coming from. I think that appearance is everything. When we go on that job interview, when we go to church, we dress to impress. You know, we live in a society where the first impression takes precedence over who you really are. And I'm not saying that it's the right thing, but that's just the society we live in. You know, how you look will determine to somebody else how smart you are and how you were raised. You know, someone can see you while you are having a bad day and without even knowing you, they'll pass judgment. And although this isn't right, this is just, like I said, how it is set up, you know, and I recall how so many people, and even on this show, how we criticized Derek Jackson's wife for wearing a bonnet during that live video. And I don't think in this sense that this is really different. We can all agree that she really didn't present herself the right way, in our opinion, on that live video. And I think as Black women, we are constantly working harder than others to climb the bar of excellence. We already have our melanin working against us in this society. And I think that we who have been given the opportunity to learn how to maneuver our way up the ladder should help or lend a helping hand to our youth and coach them how to dress, how to speak, and how to demand respect. And I'm a a firm believer that you can't demand respect if you don't look the part. I do feel like it was a lot on the messenger, Shalana, like just hearing it from Monique (laughs) was kind of a slap in the face, not just because of the things that she's done, but just kind of feels just like no matter where you are, 
although she may not have meant it this way, and I'm sure she didn't because she, she continually said she tried to think about her approach and what she was saying, and she thought long and hard before she said anything. But it feels kind of insultish. That's not a word, but it feels insulting <laughs> <laughs> when someone who looks like you comes back and tells you something that you hear on a day-to-day -day basis from people mm -hmm. of other races, mm -hmm. and it really stings. So I, I can see what you're saying about dressing to impress, impress, and of course, we do, when we go all out, we go all out, and it does not matter if we're, what kind of position we're going to or what kind of event or whatever, we mm -hmm. are really showing who we are every day, but when I tell you that my mm -hmm. mental health and well-being is going to come above all of that, I'm sorry if I yeah. meet my future employer in the grocery store and I don't wear my bonnet just, just because like <laughs> my mom did instill that into me, I think, growing up. And so mm -hmm. usually I will not have my bunny even to go outside and just check the mailbox, no matter what these hands <laughs> looking like. The bunnet is coming off. Mm -hmm. And even just for health reasons, like going out in the pollen and you coming back in with this bunnet on and you going to bed with the bunnet on, it's just... It's just it's, not sanitary. It's, it's yeah. not sanitary. So <laughs> I, for a lot of different reasons, I don't wear the bunnet. Mm -hmm. But as far as just every time I go out, I'm, I'm dressed to the nines, no ma'am. I might have my <laughs> jogging pants on and my Crocs. But when it is something that I... I feel strongly about I'm going to go and and dress up and look how I feel I should look but I don't feel mm -hmm. like anyone else can determine like we said if you are a queen a queen in training they cannot give or take away any of that name or positioning from you and you shouldn't try to make your people feel like they gotta strive to fit inside of this box we've been fighting for a space at the table for so many years like we deserve a space at that table and it does not matter what we're looking like and we should not be hounded by the people who had to go through that same struggle but i do can't and i can't understand that she's trying to look out for us and telling us when she goes out in public what she sees and how that kind of makes her feel and so she came back to the table to to try to help us. And she came back a second time, not in that road. <laughs> she did. <laughs> not in the road. <laughs> she changed clothes on us. She, she did. She did. She was in her two-piece. She was in her two-piece this time. In her top, her, her spandex and her yes, sports honey. bra. And she had so. just finished working out to tell us again <laughs> that we should wear bonnets. But, you know, like I said, for me, it's not the message. I think the message is clear. But it's just the messenger and it's just the way that she delivered it. If you're going to try to build somebody up, don't tear them down verbally. Yes. Like I just kind of felt that way when I was listening to her, um, her post. So I didn't, I didn't have an issue with it coming from Monique necessarily. Like I've met her. We were shopping at Torrid and I think she might've been with her daughter maybe a niece or something they looked a lot alike so I'm assuming it was her daughter but Monique was so nice and so friendly and so polite and just like 
charm school all the way down. Like she was so nice and so friendly. And I think that is the Monique that I still know and see when I see her do videos like this. But everybody has an auntie in their family who wants to keep it real and tell it like it is. And you just don't want to hear it. And I think that for me, that's how it was. But I respect Monique because of how I saw her when the cameras weren't around and she was just being herself. But like, Shalana, to your point, I think that when we're going to church or when we go to a job interview and when we're in places that require, that have a dress requirement, I don't like the idea of a dress code. I'll talk about that on another day, but places that do have a, a dress standard like church and interviews and stuff. I don't think that's what Monique was talking about. I think she was like exclusively talking about the common places that we go, like the grocery store in the airport where you could dress nicer if you wanted to, but have you sat on a spirit flight in the middle seat all the way in the back in a business suit? No, nobody has time for yeah. that. I'm going to put on this bonnet. I'm going to get this blanket because it's extra cold and I'm going to be mm -hmm. comfortable on this two hour flight where the seat don't recline and we're going to be delayed by three hours anyway. Mm -hmm. But like I, I go to the store all the time in like sweats and some flip flops and maybe not a bonnet, but like my hair might be in some plaits or I might be wearing my twist out because I don't want to take my curls out yet. But I think that, so I follow this person on TikTok named Pablo the Don and they gave like a different perspective that I think might be true too. And they were saying that Monique might be speaking from a place of like past trauma because the way that plus size black women or fat black women have to like present ourselves is different from what like a skinny woman can get away with. So one of my skinny friends could probably go to the store in like sweats and a t-shirt and like a messy bun or something like that. But if I do that as a plus size woman, I get looks, I'm thought of as lazy or sloppy, or I don't know how to take care of myself and things like that. So there's an added pressure for people who are like the size, like my size or like the size Monique used to be. And it seems mm -hmm. like when she was talking to us, her babies about this, it might've been coming from a place of old unaddressed trauma. And I wonder if, because there's that stigma of the way that plus size women have to present themselves. I wonder if that played a part in why she was so compelled to send this message to us. Mm -hmm. I can get with that theory too. You know, like, I understand I, where that would be coming from. I don't know. I just, mm -hmm. and y'all know, I travel a lot for work and I see women in bonnets and with their pillows and blankets and slides and pajamas. I've never once thought to myself, oh, she must be ghetto or she don't care about herself or she doesn't have pride about her. I don't think twice about women that I see in pajamas and bonnets. I just, I don't know, maybe I'm just minding my own business, mm -hmm. but I don't think twice about people and how they look in the airport or a grocery mm -hmm. store. But you know, Caroline, this whole situation with the bonnets has been around for a very long time. And when the whole bonnet thing came out, quote unquote, we were not just seeing it in the airports. It was everywhere that it should not be. It was in the mall. Sometimes when 
I'm seeing patients. I see some women come in with their bonnets. Sometimes I've, I've gone to establishments where the staff is wearing a bonnet just recently. That's how I had my aha moment. You know, I told you guys in the beginning, I was feeling salty about Monique's message, but just recently, when I was on my way to Fort Myers to spend time with my family, I stopped to a Chick-fil-A in the mall, and the person who waited on me had on a bonnet. Oh, yes, sis. Now, you know you working now, in that place. That is, that's completely off. You sure it wasn't yeah. a hairnet? <laughs> it was not well, a hairnet. Let me hair try net. to save her right quick. It wasn't a hairnet. <laughs> it was not a hairnet, sis. It was a whole bonnet. And that's when I had my epiphany. And I was like, you know what? Maybe Monique was right. <laughs> was the chicken sandwich This is not appropriate. Good. The chicken sandwich was good, though, honey. Oh, okay. It was okay. good. <laughs> but I could not get that whole picture of that bonnet out of my head. And it was, it was one of us. It was another queen who had on the bonnet. And I'm like, and I wanted to tell her, hey, look, you at work, sis. Oh, my no. God. Shalom. But I did oh, not. Shoulder. I didn't. I didn't tap on the shoulder because I don't have time to be fighting in the mall. <laughs> and we're not gonna be fighting in the mall. I just looked. I got my my combo, my chicken sandwich combo, and I left. But, but on my sad. way, yes. yeah. I mean, we we should know that it is not that type of accessory. So from that standpoint, that may need to be something that is addressed. But just on the regular. I, I I don't know. I'm I'm still trying to think if I'm gonna cork or toast. Well, I've toasted the message, <laughs> um, but I have a side eye in the messenger in the delivery. <laughs> I'm putting a whole cork in this, <laughs> but I think too that this also, like at least for me personally, it comes from a place where I have been judged for the mm-hmm. way I for what I've worn. Like I remember one time and I know we got to move on. So I'm gonna keep this short, but I was in Miami getting ready to fly back home, but I had to stop by the office because I left my laptop charger. And so I was, no, I was about to fly to Detroit. I was going from Miami to Detroit on American. So, you know, that flight was about to be some bull, but Mm -hmm. I had on like leggings, some Air Maxes, like a t-shirt. My braids were in like a messy bun. Like it was cute, but it was like a messy bun. And like two of my coworkers asked me if I was okay. Cause I look like I don't feel well. And I'm like, I'm fine. Why do you say that? And they're like, oh, you just, you don't, you look like something might be wrong. Are you okay? And the only thing Mm -hmm. different was the fact that I was not in business attire just to run in the office and get my charger. Mm -hmm. But could it have come from a place that they're used to seeing you fly, you know, going to work, put together. And now this is a day where you're having, um, like I like to call it quote unquote, like a bum day where you're just trying to be relaxed and they see this for the first time and they're like, Oh, you know, what's going what's on? What's going on? Mm-hmm. But like, I'm on my way to the airport. I didn't have a bonnet on. I was just relaxed, right? Leggings, t-shirt, t- sneakers. I didn't think anything of it. But for two different people to say I look like I didn't feel well, just because I was dressed casually. I don't know. I took a lot of offense to that because like, if I was in business clothes coming to here, you wouldn't have flinched 
but why is it that because I dress a different way or dress more casual than what you're used to, like, why does the way I look make you think something's wrong with me? And I think that might be like instances like that have happened. And maybe that's why I'm a little more sensitive about people telling mm -hmm. me I need to dress a certain way to look presentable yeah. or to like, look like I care about myself. So I'm putting a cork in this whole thing. <laughs> I mean, I think the biggest offense is just that you can go out anywhere else and even in the workplace and people, other people come in and just looking, like you say, a messy bun. They tell you they haven't showered in, in two days and just wash this hair. <laughs> and no one is trying to tell them that they need to look put together for this workplace or look put, like, we are just held to such a much higher standard. And all of that pressure with everything else that's going on in society, it's just so much more to handle. So I don't give anybody else a side eye or anything from how they're dressed. But I mean, I, I do think that there are some things that you should do and wearing that bunny to your place of work is not appropriate. Maybe a, what's the thing, the turban headband or something like that bunnet is is something that's completely mm -hmm. <laughs> for, for some other instance so i <laughs> guess I like sis are you coming to work or going to bed i just i need to know you if, know as, as long as <laughs> <laughs> as long as you're not insulting and and tearing down your people then i guess that i can toast this message it's still with a slight side eye because I feel like you shouldn't have to change in in a public area. If you're going to, depending on where you're going, you need to dress appropriately. But in a public arena, you might need that time to decompress and, and not worry about what anybody else is saying or thinking of you. But so I'm a toast with a side eye. Okay, I will toast to adhering to dress requirements in different places. So when you're at work and your Chick-fil-A uniform does not include a bonnet, <laughs> I am okay having an issue with that. I can toast to adhering to dress requirements in certain situations, like at work, if it's business casual, you need to be business casual. If you're at church and the norm is, you know, dressy, then go to church dressy, if that's what's acceptable at your church. But when I go somewhere that there isn't a dress requirement, I don't want you checking for how I dress. So that's the issue I have with Monique's message. And for that, I'm putting a cork in her. All right. <laughs> I knew that was going to be a good one. I knew it. I knew it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> all right. Story. I need some more wine already. Story number three, pops <laughs> and pads. So... I think I know where this is going to go, but I'm, I'm curious to hear what y'all think. One dad asked Reddit, like the message board Reddit, if he was wrong for making his daughter clean the house and cook meals to pay for menstrual products. Yes, you heard that right. Recently, it caused a big stink with some of his family because his daughter does chores, but his son does not. He shared in a Reddit thread. I explained that it's because I have to spend extra money on my daughter every month, not only for her extracurricular activities, but for her monthly supplies. So that's my way of having her pay me back. She cleans the shared living spaces and the bathrooms in our apartment and cooks four meals a week. 
the father wrote. First of all, I'm in my 30s and I don't even do that much. Anyway, Mm-mm. here's where things <laughs> got really messy. The father, his brother said that he actually spends twice as much money on his son's extracurriculars. And by logic, the son should have to do chores too, right? So the dad explained that he didn't do that because he felt that the son's extracurricular activities could get him into college on a scholarship, but the daughter's extracurricular activities were just hobbies in the father's opinion. He later clarified that the daughter's activities included choir and dance while his son played baseball and football. I'm just... Naturally, when the daughter overheard this conversation between the dad and the brother, she was rightfully upset. The two exchanged words, and the father called her a brat, threatening to refuse to pay for her choir and her dance activities and her pads. He was about to just cut her off. He even then wrote, you know, I wouldn't actually do that. I was just saying that. But she packed her bags and went on to stay with her auntie. So the dad's brother and the dad's sister, even the son, all told him that he is being irrational, and they used a few other curse words that I cannot say on this podcast. He, the dad wants to know, is he right, or is the rest of his family right? Now, there is so much to unpack here, but ladies, what say ye? Are we toasting to the idea of chores in exchange for necessities, or are we putting a court in dad and his detrimental parenting? Girl, a whole court. I mm-hmm. didn't have to yes. think about <laughs> because the whole situation, you know that you had to go to Reddit to ask millions of people if you right or your family right. You know you, that you already you know you're wrong. Yeah. <laughs> but I have a question. They didn't mention the mother. Is she in I think she picture passed. or oh okay. Yeah, I think she passed because um, I just, this is sexist and it's borderline abusive. Oh my gosh, yes. Yes. How much he's spending on sanitary products? $50, $60 maybe a month. And he's talking about she need to do four square meals a day, a, a week. A plus week. The, all the chores around the house in addition to, to earn his $50 cleaning up a bathroom behind two nasty men or a father and a son. Absolutely. Like, are we in the 1950s? Yeah, clearly. Clearly the dad is stuck in the 1950s when women used to be, uh, what they call them? Um, house home engineers. Homemakers. Or- homemakers. Yeah, domestic engineers. Yeah, domestic engineers, yeah. Yeah, and then that's just we we thinking about one bathroom. How we don't even know what the size of this house is. He could have a three, four bedroom, two bathrooms. She cleaning up the daddy bathroom <laughs> and their bathroom, like Mm-mm. the kitchen, the refrigerator, no. all these different tasks. And who taught her how to how to do this? Did she have to learn on her own? Because her mom, Mm-mm. I do think it said uh, maybe in the article earlier that mom had passed, and so it was a single dad or whatever, or I, we, we think that they passed. They might have, she might have just ran away. But, but the son does no chores. He no does chores. Nothing. nothing. Yeah, that's straight up sexist. And yeah. if you ask me, I, I feel like the, the daughter may have a chance of getting into college if she wanted to on singing and dance quicker than the son on baseball and football. 
Exactly. I agree. Exactly. I agree. So I just pray that this daughter doesn't develop long-term trauma for being treated this way and like that she just finds her own independence and identity that's not tied to doing twice as much work as a man just to have the bare minimum. The bare. So, yeah, I'm hoping that, you know, she isn't experiencing any like PTSD or any like traumatic stress from like that environment. The child, I'm putting a cork in him and I'm hitting him over the head with the bottle. Girl. And, <laughs> and just to hear, breaks. Yeah. Hope it breaks. <laughs> just to hear that her turning point, the ending point for her to stop this and to even, I don't know if she kind of felt, you know, probably she felt a little salty at having to do chores and the brother wasn't, but never having him explain to her why she had to do these chores. But when she heard him telling the brother why, I mean, she was just like, so this is why I'm stuck with all the work? Because of my sanitary products? Oh, no. Yeah, I agree with y'all. I'm putting the cork all in this situation. (laughs) Mm -hmm. You know, I get that he wants to teach his children a a sense of responsibility because I think that is very important. You know, coming up, my brother and I, we had chores and we got allowances and things like that. But maxi pads and sanitary products are a necessity. And being young and having to deal with the changes going on with your body added to the stress of having to do chores to pay for the products, I think it's very wrong. I think that he needs to find another way to teach financial stewardship. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah. and, you know, and my question is, what happens if she doesn't do her chores? Does she have to go without? <laughs> and so now you run into the problem of period poverty which is already Mm -hmm. a big issue in this country and period stigma um you know so he's just adding to that problem yeah and i know we've talked about this on the show before but men have no business putting financial decisions on women when it comes to anything dealing with our body parts at all exactly i'm I'm here for alternative parenting where you're teaching your child financial responsibility as early as possible i'm I'm here for that but not when it's tied to you doing all the chores in the house and your brother does nothing like that's just oh it's just not it doesn't sit well with me it It reminds me of it's very sexist and it reminds me of corporate settings Mm -hmm. where the man does nothing but takes all the credit When a woman is behind the scenes doing all the hard work and making all of the right decisions, even though a man takes all the credit for it, that's the kind of mentality that it, that situation takes me to. So I will not bust him in the head with my black girl magic (laughs) recently, but he sure, he sure can get some of this old cupcake wine. (laughs) What's that bonefish? He can get one of them bonefish bottles. But even your son sure who can. ain't doing nothing at the house tells you that you're wrong. You know you're wrong. <laughs> don't don't take That's it to true. the internet to get schooled. Your son exactly. and children have already talked to you, sir. Exactly. And the whole world told him he was evil because Reddit had to take the comments down and close the posts because <laughs> they were coming at his head. Somebody even said they're going to call CPS on this man. But... As they should. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) As they should. So this last story is one that I like to call shots, shape-ups, and sew-ins. So 
with an eye towards 70% of U.S. adults receiving at least one COVID-19 vaccine dose by July 4th, y'all President Joe Biden recently announced a month-long effort to encourage more Americans to roll up their sleeves for a shot. Sorry, y'all, I was not talking about tequila. We're talking about the COVID-19 vaccine. Listen up. So the more people that we get vaccinated, the more success we're going to have in the fight against the virus. This is what President Biden said during remarks at the White House, adding that the U.S. could see a dramatically different summer than last year. So as part of his June, quote unquote, month of action, he announced shots at the shop. Try saying that five times fast, which is an initiative bringing together 1,000 Black-owned barbershops and beauty salons across the nation to serve as vaccination locations, hoping that this will combat vaccine hesitancy and access obstacles that we see in the Black community, offering vaccine shots right at the barbershop and the salon. Are y'all here for this or is it a reach? Shot, 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 not just the sanitation aspect of it, but just because we know that these vaccinations have to be kept properly and some of them have to be frozen until they're ready for use and some of them have to be refrigerated for so many days. And we've already seen even the university health uh, centers not store these things properly. So just bring them out into the community for them to be administered are the salon and the the barbers going to be the ones that's doling them out are they hiring some public health nurse from the community to come and deal with all of that or what's going on right <laughs> like i could just see somebody taking some you know um y'all know i ain't go to medical school i went to Grey's anatomy <laughs> taking a little um, <laughs> That's good enough. Taking a little, uh, the, the, the vaccine valve things, the little, you know, dosages, I mm-hmm. guess they're called. Mm-hmm. I could see somebody just pulling them out the freezer to sit their dinner in there and forgetting to put them back <laughs> in. And now we just stuck. Uh-uh. <laughs> and now, now they expire and you think that you done got your vaccine. <laughs> With your Chick-fil-A. Uh-uh. So <laughs> I, I like the idea though of, be more intentional in reaching Black communities because Mm -hmm. we know that this virus disproportionately impacted um, Black and Brown communities. So I can toast to this initiative, but if Uncle Joe don't carry his aviator frames down to the Sally (laughs) Mae office. (laughs) I know that's right. And do something about these student loans. Hit control up delete Listen. on these student laws. Look, I don't want to hear a single solitary <laughs> thing coming up out that White House. Delete. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I don't want to hear nothing else coming up out that White House until he deletes these loans. I Which know that's right. mm, He's taking too long. Taking way too long. 
way too long. He only had three more years. Uh, the next four is not promised. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, you know, I have the same sentiment, Caroline. I think that if you are trying to reach a certain population, um, you have to meet them where they are, you know, and in the African-American community, besides churches, barbershops and beauty salons have had a powerful presence in the African-American community. Mm-hmm. And just some time ago, we were really worried because a lot of us were dying from COVID and it was affecting us disproportionately. And I think that this is a way uh, to get more of us vaccinated. And I applaud his efforts as well. And, you know, usually politicians will show up in our communities to collect the vote. And I like the fact that he has circled back around to make sure that people in our community are covered with this Mm -hmm. vaccine. Exactly. Exactly. So when y'all see them social media trolls Mm -hmm. asking what Joe Biden did for Black folk, this is one Mm -hmm. of the things that he has intentionally done to, uh, to help our community. And I think the one thing that that really stuck out to me wasn't just trying to force these vaccines into barbershops and beauty salons. The White House did their research. This was done in Maryland and it was successful. And he also, in this initiative, is going to address vaccine hesitancy, which is I'm not going to lie. I was hesitant. I think I talked about it on this show before. I was Mm -hmm. very hesitant. Even when I was getting the shot, I was still like, Mm -hmm. I don't know about this. We're going to see, you know, Um, and I think it's very important that the government, even the White House, owns up to how Black people have been mistreated in the medical system over at least the last hundred years, at least. So being able to have those educational conversations with people in our safe spaces, like barbershops and beauty salons, I think that is huge as well. Yeah, I agree. I'm definitely going to toast to the initiative because like you said, it addresses the hesitancy behind getting the vaccination, which, I mean, we definitely have reason to be kind of leery when we're looking at what all is being offered and Mm -hmm. I've even been talked to from some family members asking well if they've done all this research why are you still able to be a carrier and this and that so just getting the research out and the resources to show what are the benefits the pros and the cons to getting the vaccine and how you can help do your part in your Mm -hmm. community and like you said meeting us where we are showing us that you're not afraid to get out and just like you that uh, rallied to get the votes you're here rallying to mm-hmm. save our lives yeah. to make a difference so that really means something and it really will get us to stand behind you mm-hmm. it would now I'll, I'll i will toast to this but I will leave a thread of a, a little train of wine bottles from the white house to the same <laughs> yeah. office so yep. maybe he could pick up all the bottles and find his way over to uh, the I'm, I'm telling you. <laughs> so now we have come to the segment, the food for thought. And in this section of the podcast, we like to discuss topics that provide tidbits of light to help carry you through your day, your week, and your life. So let's get into it. Okay, so I think I will start... 
Today, I want to talk about perseverance and doing the impossible. Did you ever notice that in the word impossible is also I'm possible? Someone pointed this out to me the other day and it made me realize that perception is really everything. How you see difficult situations will determine how you will get through them. And seeing something as impossible is the same as having a limited point of view. In life, we have to allow no limiting beliefs to restrict our outlook on life. We must make an active choice to understand who we are and what we want, and then set goals that will keep us moving in the right direction, no matter what life throws us. I remember after being offered my first nursing job as a labor and delivery nurse, the nurse manager took me on the tour of the unit. And while on the unit and going through this tour, I remember looking at the birthing beds, the IV pumps, seeing the fetal heart monitors all over the place and hearing women moaning in agony and, and then thinking to myself, how in the hell am I going to learn how to handle all of this? But then there was a still small voice inside me that said, girl, you got through nursing school. You can learn how to do anything. And that has been my life model ever since. I can do anything and everything. So when you are faced with an impossible situation, it is important to affirm yourself. Say that it is possible because you're possible or I'm possible. I am fully equipped to get through any challenging situation. Change the narrative and affirm yourself and watch how you accomplish the impossible. I love that, Shalana. I never have noticed that impossible contained impossible. So that was, that's a change of perspective. Thank you. I think that I'll go next. The topic that I chose that has relevance to this month is Alzheimer's disease. It's like a memorial to finding the cure. And one thing I want to kind of address is what actually is Alzheimer's disease? So Alzheimer's is defined as a progressive disease that destroys memory and other important mental functions. And it does this by degenerating the brain cells, destroying the brain cell connections and other important mental functions that are associated with your brain cells, making you, causing you to lose your memory. It's very common with more than 3 million cases per year. And it's kind of sad, <clears throat> very sad to say that I have had several close family members who have developed this disease. And the most disheartening thing is that there is treatment, but still really no cure. There's no cure to help a mother who doesn't remember the faces of the children that she's raised. No cure for the father who hears his baby crying in the background, but can't find him. And then you know that the baby is 38 and there are no babies in the whole house. How do you feel when you have to explain to your seven-year-old that his grandma still loves him and cares for him when she can't remember who he is. And he sees her physically attacking you when you try to help her eat her meal. I have walked this journey with several of my grandparents and I was the one explaining the disease process to my little. I was one of the grands who watched my mom and aunt struggle to care for my grandparents 
while the rest of their siblings went on about the rest of their lives as if their mother didn't exist, except to celebrate the annual birthday milestones. Alzheimer's disease ravaged my family and I struggled to understand how to deal with their grief and hurt of familiars, of the lack of familiar support in our loved one's struggle. And one thing that I have found is that when you support a cause that is working to research a cure, something that may not be able to benefit your loved one, but will hopefully impact the future generations of families going through the fight against this awful disease, you start to feel a lot better. So today I wear purple and white in support of finding the cure for Alzheimer's. I work for an organization that does a yearly dedication to those we have lost in the fight against Alzheimer's. And I always participate in local events to raise awareness of this illness and how to go about treatment. I find hope in knowing that these were times and that the, there were times when my grandma did remember her family and there were victories in the long fight. One of the scriptures that I like to look towards is Proverbs 22 and six, which says to train up a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. I'm not sure what my great grandparents taught my grandma, <laughs> but I know what she taught my mom and, and her children. She loved the Lord, and even when she fought and forgot us, she always sang and taught about the Lord. And it really impacted me to know that although her brain cells and her memory may have been destroyed in a lot of different places, that in the end, the Lord protected that which was most precious. And that has always given me a big measure of peace. So in this month, we honor those who are in the fight against Alzheimer's and who support the cause of work, looking for the cure for Alzheimer's disease. That was beautiful, Nalita. Amen. Yes. I stand with you 100%. And I never met your grandmother, but I will say that what she was able to teach your mother who then gave those same lessons to you your granny did an amazing job because i think you are one of the most beautiful humans that i have ever met and i really admire your advocacy for this cause shalana and i our grandfather had alzheimer's and yeah. i remember grandpa not recognizing my father sometimes and how emotional like those moments would be and I don't think we'll ever have enough advocates for fighting for a cure for this because it does it impact so many people, so many people. Uh, all and the even the caregivers, yeah. yeah. And even the caregivers too, it affects them a lot because I remember as Caroline said, our, our grandfather had um, Alzheimer's and he used to wander he used mm -hmm. to leave the home and they lost him a few times and, and then they end up having to put him in a nursing home, which I know is hurtful on top of that because they couldn't care for him around the clock. And yes. so I think, yes, the energy should be on finding a cure, but also I think there should be a lot of organizations out there for people who are caring mm -hmm. for those who have it because it's a lot of work. Mm -hmm. It is a lot it of is. work. Yep. 
Yeah, my mother's mother also had Alzheimer's and it got really, really bad in her last days before she left us. And I mean, I was only like seven or eight years old, but my mother was the primary, well, my mother and father were the primary caregivers along with my grandpa and just seeing how hard they worked and how difficult it was to take care of her sometimes and she not remember who they were or she's trying to cook something and it burns and you know all those kinds of things I, I i wish that there were more like support groups and resources for caregivers like you said because it's i saw firsthand how hard of a job it was and i commend anyone who is selflessly caring for someone with alzheimer's Whew. how how do i go behind that my goodness my goodness we could wrap the show up right here <laughs> But um, I, I just wanted to talk about um, a message in God's timing. So this past few weeks, I say, I've spent a little more time on social media than I should have. And I found myself sometimes getting a little discouraged or playing the comparison game to other influencers or other people on social media. And sometimes I would just get a little bit in my feelings about my own life between luxury black girl TikTok or girls trip TikTok or mm -hmm. you know seeing a bunch of girls taking trips to the Dominican getting their you know body goals all together right it's easy to get into this like comparison game or, or taking inventory of the things that you don't have or the things that you haven't done yet and I just want to encourage everyone to remember that you are right where you want to, where you need to be, and you have everything that you need right now to fulfill God's purpose over your life. Um, I always think about this scripture, and I have it hanging up in the dining room. Shout out to my mother-in-law for gifting it to us, but it's from Jeremiah 29, verse 11 and 12, and it says, for I know the plans I have for you declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and to not harm you, and plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. So I encourage all of you who are ready for your hot girl summer, but to just live your life in a life of thanksgiving, in a life of abundance, and in a life of gratitude. And just cast your cares on the Lord, because he will direct your path in his perfect timing. And I think that that goes so well with what Dr. Shalana Battle was talking about. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> about, you know, just being fully equipped to do everything that you set out to do. And I think that that message was also very beautiful. And now I have like Brandy and Whitney Houston's Impossible song playing in my head. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Impossible. Yep. Impossible. <laughs> <laughs> Another that show was my jam. Girl magic. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And so this has been a awesome wind down episode. I can't wait to listen to it back. And we missed Alexis today. She is taking care of some business, but she will be back with us next month. And shout out to Alexis. And yes, love my girl. <laughs> All right. And so as I always say, that is a wrap. 
Thank you for joining us this week on Close the Curtain Podcast with Nalita, Shalana, and Caroline. I hope you enjoyed this brief respite and that something we said inspired or motivated you to close the curtain on whatever is not for the season in which you find yourself in. If you're enjoying Close the Curtain, please rate the show, share it. These things allow more women access to the same wonderful content that you enjoy. If you have questions, comments, or you want to suggest show topics, leave a message for us on our email, hello at closethecurtain.com. Again, that's hello at closethecurtain.com. You can also stay connected with Close the Curtain Podcast on Instagram at our handle at Close the Curtain Podcast. Our website is www.closethecurtain.com. And our podcast can be enjoyed on the following platforms Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and Anchor, with more to come. This has been an awesome show. Don't forget to meet us next time at the intersection of pop culture and wellness. Bye.